Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. G'day, thanks for joining us. My name's Nathan. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church. Thanks for joining us today, whether in the room or online. It's a privilege to have you. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word. I encourage you to pray with me. Father, I thank you for who you are, that you are the God who loves us and has chosen to reveal yourself to us. You've given us your Word, the Scriptures, which is to teach us about you, to show us who we are. And as we come to it today, and as we look at 1 Thessalonians, Lord, that you would speak through your Word. Give us ears and hearts open to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I started to do lots of exercise, much more than I'm doing now. Um, I was doing sit-ups and push-ups and chin-ups and running and sprinting, and I was getting pretty healthy. And one day, I went to the beach with my wife and my kids, and I went for a swim in the water. And as I come up out of the water, my wife gives me this look like, ooh, ooh la la, baby, you're looking good. And that's because I look like this guy. Uh, not really. <laughs> Obviously not. I've entitled this message today, I Can See the Difference. I Can See the Difference. Have you ever noticed something different in another person? Maybe it's their new hairstyle, or maybe they've got, been in the sun and got a, a darker tan, or maybe they've been going to the gym and lifting weights and they're getting, getting muscly. Or maybe you've noticed someone's mood has changed. Maybe you, they were um, struggling, and maybe they're doing much better, and you notice that, and, and you can say, I can see the difference. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of one of those comments. Maybe you've been trying to lose weight, and someone makes a comment, hey, it looks like you're losing weight, and that can be super encouraging. Or maybe you've been to the gym and trying to get bulky, and someone says, hey, you look fit, man, your muscles are getting big. Or maybe you've been deliberately working on your thinking, and you've been trying to change the way you think and have a, a more positive outlook on life, and someone says to you, well, you seem more positive, or really encouraging things, all times where people can see a difference in us. People notice there's a difference in us. And when people become a Christian, this also should be said about us. I can see the difference. Because when someone becomes a Christian, there is a radical change in them. More than just a suntan or weight loss or getting bulky at the gym, even more than a mood change. When someone becomes a, when, when someone becomes a Christian, there is a supernatural change that happens within them. When someone commits their life to Jesus, their sin is forgiven. Their guilt and their shame is lifted. God puts his Holy Spirit in them, and God gives us, and when I say in them, I'm talking about people who are Christians, that's me too. When God puts His Spirit in us, He gives us a new identity. He calls us His workmanship. He calls us a new creation. He describes us as people who have been adopted into His family, who have been chosen, who have been forgiven. Incredible things happen in us. We get the standing of righteous. In God's sight, incredible things happen in us. And as those things happen in us, and as God's Spirit transforms us, outwardly we live differently. Our attitudes change. So we're more patient and more kind and less angry. 
our priorities change, where we live less for our own interests and less for ourselves, and more about living for Jesus, who is the King and the Lord of our lives. Our attitude changes. Our priorities changes. What else changes? I've written some thoughts down. We deliberately change our actions and the way that we live. We make choices to, rather than please ourselves and our flesh, we make choices to please the King. And as we live this way, people will say to us, I can see the difference. And as we come to our text today from 1 Thessalonians, verse 4 through to 10, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I can see the difference in you. Before we read the text, let me give you a a, a bit of background. Last time I shared with you, I spoke from the first three verses and from 1 Thessalonians. And we saw that this book was written by the Apostle Paul as he was accompanied by Silas and Timothy. We saw it was written to the church in Thessalonica. And I shared a little bit from Acts chapter 17, which I'd like to do again to give you some context around Paul's writing this letter and to whom whom he's writing. In Acts chapter 17, Paul went with Silas and Timothy and and Luke, the uh, writer of Luke's gospel, and they went to Thessalonica. And here's a map of Thessalonica, and you can see where it is. It's up here. Israel's over here. Thessalonica's up here. And Paul went there on his second missionary journey. And as he got there, he went to the Sabbath. On the, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath for three consecutive Sabbaths. And he presented the message of Jesus. And he proved from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. In this synagogue were Jews and also people who were born Jews, as well as converts to Judaism. And in this synagogue, some of these Jews committed their life to Jesus. And for those that did, they had joy and excitement in their hearts. But for some of the other Jews who didn't like them choosing this Messiah because they didn't believe he was, they were jealous and started a riot in the city. And there was a a riot and they tried to find Paul, the leader of this new Christian movement, and arrest him and have him killed. But they couldn't find him, so they arrested some other Christians, these other brand new believers in Thessalonica. And they brought them before the authorities. They locked them up. They had to post bail. And these new Christians were treated poorly because of their new faith. They were, they were looked down on by their Jewish community. They were left out. They were seen as second rate, as people who had left, left the ingroup. They were seen on the outer. And Paul goes from Thessalonica down to Berea, to Athens, and then, then to Corinth. And in Corinth, writes this letter back to the church in Thessalonica, encouraging them in what he's seen and to continue to live a life of Jesus, even though it says in 2 Thessalonians that the persecution continued for these believers. They continued to live a life that honored God. Last time I shared, I then looked at verse 3, and we looked at these three things, faith in action, love in action, and then hope in action. And if you missed that message, just go to our website. You can listen to it there. You can watch it there on YouTube. It's there for you. And so today I want to take you to verse 4. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 10, but I want to look at verse 4. And as we read that, we can see, Paul says, I can see the difference in you. So let's now turn to the text. I'm going to go back to the beginning, 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to read 10 verses. Here it is. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. 
We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Super important. We know that God has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. As I said last time I spoke, I spoke to you from verse 1 through 3. So what I want to do is pick it up from verse 4 today. And in verse 4, Paul writes this, For we know, brothers and sisters, love, God, love by God, that he has chosen you, and then in the beginning of verse 5, because. Paul is saying, I know that God loves you. I know that he's chosen you. I know that you have responded to him. I know that God is for you. I can see the difference in you. And it's not just me. We read in the, in the later verses that the believers throughout Macedonia and Acacia, they also see the change that's happened in your life. They also can see the difference that has happened within you. I know there's a change in you. And then Paul goes on to talk about five things in how he's seen them changed. And this should be true for every believer. We know that we are saved because of the change that happens within us. The people around us will know that something unique, that something powerful has happened because of the way we live, because of how we respond, because our priority changes, our attitude changes, our, um, um, the, the, our choices that we make in life, they change because of what God has done in our lives. As a new believer at the age of 17, I was super, super passionate about my faith. Um, God had done some incredible work in my life and transformation, and I was by, by no means perfect and still not perfect, and I had lots of areas that God had to do in my life. But one area that changed immediately was this area of passion about what God has done for us. You know, I was so passionate about what, what our God has done for us through Jesus, that he died for us, that he rose again, that he offers forgiveness for sin, that he offers eternal life, that I was so excited and passionate that I was just sharing with everyone, with every opportunity I had. And when I was 17, I was in year 12 at high school, and I shared my faith every day in high school to students, to teachers, to the whole school on, our, on our one occasion. And during recess and lunch, I would speak to my friends about Jesus. And 
Now, my attitude of doing it was good. I, was, I wanted to love God, and I wanted to love these guys, and so I wanted to tell them about Jesus, but maybe my methods weren't so great. And my friends got so sick of me that one day they got a roll of gaffer tape, and, and we had bench seats where we sat, and they gaffer taped me to the seat like this, and they put gaffer tape over my mouth so I could no longer speak about Jesus. That was during recess, and they left me there after recess. They all left, and, and about 10 minutes later, the, the our deputy principal happened to walk past, and uh, he, he, he rescued me. Now, it was all fun. I wasn't up, too upset about it at the time. But my friends could say to me, Nathan, I can see the difference. There's a difference in you. You weren't passionate in, like this in year 11, but year 12, something's happened. God's done something in your life. And therefore, you're so passionate and you want to tell everyone. They could say, I could see the difference. And this should be true in all of us, friends. As believers who have had encounters with Jesus, who have committed our life to Jesus, where God has moved in, his, moved in our life by His Spirit, the one who's given us a new identity, who walks with us, walks with us by His Spirit, who never leaves us, never forsakes us, who transforms us. We should all be able to say, people around us should be able to say about us, I can see the difference in you. And so as we come to this text in these verses, from verse uh, 4 onwards, we see five things that the, Apostle, that the Apostle Paul says about the church in Thessalonica, these Christians. He says, I can see the difference, and he picks out five things. The first thing that we see is a move in the Holy Spirit. The second thing Paul sees is that, is that there's a change in behavior. He says, I can see joy in tough times. I can see that you're deliberate in serving God and that you are waiting for Jesus' return. And so for the rest of this message, I'm going to speak to you about these five things. The first thing we're going to look at is a move of the Holy Spirit. Let me take you back to verse 4 and verse 5. Check this out. Paul writes, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. On those three Sabbaths, when Paul went to Thessalonica and preached the message of the gospel, verse 5, gospel simply means good news. It is the good news about Jesus, that Jesus has come to rescue humanity. We deserved eternal death for our sin. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has made a way for our sin to be forgiven, relationship with God to be restored, and for us to have eternal life with God forever. Friends, that is great news. That is the message of the gospel. And Paul says here, our gospel came, came to you not simply with words. Paul didn't just stand there and present the truth of the gospel in words, but something happened. Because the gospel is just words unless... The power of God, the Spirit of God is using those words to penetrate hearts, to open hearts, to open ears for people to believe the message. And what we have here is that people believed the message because it talks about the power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction that went along, that went along with the preaching of the gospel. Now, we're not told specifically what this power looked like or this Holy Spirit looked like or this deep conviction looked like. We're not told specifically what it looks like, but the Bible commentators give us some thoughts about what maybe this, this, this could look like. And one of the thoughts of the commentators, firstly, is that Paul 
sensed the power of God in him as he preached. He had deep conviction. He had the Holy Spirit throwing, flowing through him as he preached. Another thought is, is the word power. When this word power, the Greek word dunamis, is, is used in the New Testament, it's normally, normally connected with signs and wonders, miracles, healings. And maybe when Paul preached in that synagogue, there were miracles, there was healings, there was deliverance because of the power. We don't know that specifically, but we can make that assumption. And then this idea of deep conviction, that when the people heard it, they were deeply convicted maybe of their own sin, but they also came to an understanding of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament spoke about. He is God's Messiah who has come to rescue humanity. And they believe it deep in their heart. There is a deep conviction going on. And Paul says, I can see the difference because of the move of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's number one. The second thing Paul says around I can see the difference is around their change of behavior. Check this verse out in the beginning of verse 6. He says, You became imitators of us. Us is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And of the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. The Lord there is Jesus. And so Paul says, I know that God has chosen you. I know that you've become a Christian. I can see the difference because of the way you're living. You're living differently. You're imitating me as your leader, someone who's ahead of you in the Lord. And you're imitating Jesus. You're trying to be like him. And then it goes down to verse 9. And it talks about the report that the other Christians throughout Macedonia and Acacia that have been saying about them. And, and he says this, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now an idol is something that's more important than God in your life. Sometimes people make statues that represent a part of creation, or people have images or, uh, or objects. Some of these idols and statues have demonic things connected with it, or it can simply be things like money, or a relationship can be more important than God, or power, or success. These can be idols in our lives. And the other Christians throughout Macedonia and Acacia are reporting back to Paul that these Christians in Thessalonica are throwing these idols away. They're not going to get involved in those things. Because Jesus is now Lord of their lives and they're saying, I can see the difference in them. And why did these Christians in Thessalonica respond this way? Why did they choose to imitate Paul and the other Christian leaders? Why were they choosing to imitate Jesus? Why were they throwing off these idols and choosing to serve Jesus as their king? Why? Because they were so impacted by the goodness of God, by the grace of God. They came to understand that, 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 that God sent his son Jesus to die for them when they deserved death, eternal death, separated from God. God loved them so much that he gave his son Jesus to die in the most horrible and agonizing way, that being executed on a cross, naked, pointed, cursed, the most shameful way to die. Jesus went through all that for me, and for you, and for the church in Thessalonica. And as a result, these Christians were so impressed, so blown away by what God had done for them. They said, God, I want to live a life that pleases you, that imitates you. I'm now living a life for you. They are responding to the grace of God. 
as a team, um, our staff team have been reading this book. A guy in our church named Andrew gave me this book at Christmas in 2020, and I, and I went through it, and I went, this is an awesome book. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to grab it. It's entitled, Lead Like Jesus. And, and just recently at our, at our weekly staff meeting, we were looking at this chapter on grace and on how to treat people with grace. And we do that because of the grace of God on our life. And the, the uh, authors, um, and, the, and it's got three there, three of the authors, the uh, writer of this chapter tells the story of one of his friends named Tom, who has um, something happen in his life, which he created, and then grace shown to him, which helped him to understand the grace of God. And I, and I want to read this story to you. I'm not just going to um, read it out of the book. I've put the words on the screen so you can follow along. This is what the author wrote. Our friend Tom told us an incredible story, an incredible story of grace. Early in his marriage, his wife caught him with another woman, literally. When she did, she walked up to him and said, we will talk about this later. He rushed home to see if she would talk then, but she told him she would need time. It was Tuesday, and she said she would be ready to talk on Friday. Tom described those next days as torture. He knew that he had lost his wife and his two small children, that there was no way his wife would allow him to stay in their lives. On Friday, she told Tom she was ready to talk. Tom described the, the, the scene to us. He sat across from his wife and she looked directly in his eyes. She said, I've made a decision. I have decided that I will be the best wife you could ever have. I will be the best mother you could ever want for your children and I'll be the best lover you can imagine. Now you can decide what you are going to do. That's amazing, isn't it? Tom said he fell to his knees in front of his wife and sobbed. He had heard about grace his entire life, but he had, but he had never experienced it. In fact, his wife's incredible act of grace was the first time he truly understood God's grace. Tom told us, he spent the next 40 years trying to be the best husband he wanted to be to his wife. And she spent the next 40 years keeping the promise she made that day. You know, an incredible story. Tom did not deserve his wife's forgiveness, kindness, mercy, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it. But Tom's wife showed grace. She gave him something he didn't deserve. And Tom responded in gratitude, in repentance, and made a decision to choose to honor his wife. And 40 years later there, he's telling the story. And friends, that's a beautiful picture of us responding to the grace of God. We didn't deserve God's forgiveness. We didn't deserve Jesus to die for us. But out of God's love for us, out of his kindness, out of his grace, he gave, God gave his son Jesus for us so that we could be forgiven, that we can have relationship with God, that we can have eternal life. And our response to that is to live a life that says, God, I am so thankful for what you've done. I'm going to choose to live a life 
that pleases you, that imitates you. I'm going to throw off the idols, the things that are more important than you, and you, God, are going to be the most important person in my life. And we live a life that pleases him. And as we do that, people will say about us, I can see the difference in you. That's the second thing. There was a change in behavior. The third thing Paul comments about where he says, I can see the difference in you. He says, there is joy. You have joy within you, even, even though it's a tough time. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You know, as I've said, when Paul went to Thessalonica, there were Jews who weren't interested in the message. And the, and, the, and the Jews that responded to the message and committed their life to Jesus, they were treated poorly. They were arrested. They were threatened with treason. And as the accusations came saying, they are saying there's another king and his name is Jesus, which, which meant their lives were threatened. But because they had chosen to follow him, that these, that these brand new Christians were left out, that they were rejected by their community. They were looked down on. They were left out. They missed out on opportunities. They were spoken about negatively because of their decision to follow Jesus. And even though they were treated this way, they still had joy in their hearts. Why? Because they had just come to understand the grace of God, the love of God, that God would love them, even in their sin, that he would choose them and that they would be forgiven. And that brings joy. And that what, what, what God has done is so much better than anything else that the world could offer us. And that brings joy. But also we see here that this joy is given by the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 15, this is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, that God may fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you, own, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit gives us joy. It's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy. It's the second fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we need God to say, come Holy Spirit. And as God moves by Spirit in our lives, what does he give us? He gives us joy. It's a it's uh, more than happiness. It's, 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 it's being grateful. It's, it's being excited. It's being passionate. It's, it's having um, joy in your heart. And that's put there by the Holy Spirit because of who God is and what God has done for you. And Paul says, I can see the difference in you because of the joy that you have. That's the third thing. Number four, there was a deliberateness in them to serve God and everyone can see it. We see it down in verse 9. This is the, the believers in Macedonia and Caesia. They report back to Paul and, 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 they, and they describe it this way. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to what? Serve the living and true God. And Paul makes the distinction between idols who are dead, who are simply objects that do nothing compared to the living and true God who is alive and moving people's lives. And Paul says that the report is that others can see the difference that God has made in their lives. How? Because these people are choosing to serve God. They are, they are, they are getting their faith and putting it into action. And this is what we see up in verse 3, which is, which is the message I looked at last time. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor 
prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, here we see faith in action, love in action, and hope in action. These Christians haven't just received the message and it's just them and God and they have wonderful prayer times with just them and God and they do not offer what they've been given to the rest of the world. No, they do the opposite. They share what they got with the rest of the world. They find opportunities to encourage others, to pray for others. They find opportunities to share their faith, to be generous with their finance. They find opportunities to serve the poor, to get alongside those who are struggling, to disciple new believers. Friends, this is what it looks like to serve God by loving His church, by loving people outside His church, by sharing the message, by bringing people in, by training, by discipling, by releasing, being the people who God wants us to be. The the, the fourth thing where Paul says, I can see the difference in your life, the, the church in Thessalonica, he says, you are serving others and I can see it. And that is because of the change that God has made in your life. And the final thing we see is that people people noticed what God had done in their life is because they were waiting for Jesus' return. In verse 10, it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. They were waiting for the son, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from from the coming wrath. You know, at the end of our lives, the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That is every man on the planet, every woman on the planet, we are going to stand before God one day and we're going to be asked to give an account of how we lived. And if you are in Christ, you go and be with him forever. But if you are outside of Christ, this scripture says, there is wrath, there is an eternal wrath headed your way, which is sad. And, and, and God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to have eternal life. That's why he sent his son Jesus for you. If only you would accept him and receive him as your Lord. You have this eternal life. And these Christians in Thessalonica knew that Jesus was coming back. They knew what was ahead of him, ahead of them, eternity with, with Jesus forever. And they were looking forward to that. They were waiting in eager expectation for his return, that they would receive the reward of eternal life. Now, what did this waiting look like? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us. But there was behaviors that people could see that, that, that told them that, these, that this church in Thessalonica, these new Christians, were waiting for the return of Jesus. We're not told what, these, what this waiting looked like, but maybe here are some thoughts. Maybe, maybe they were prioritizing the things of the kingdom over the things of the world. They worked out the things that had eternal value, things that were going to last into eternity, which, which looks like sharing your faith and seeing people become Christians, which looks like discipling those Christians be, to become mature disciples in the Lord. That's the stuff that lasts. When you pray for someone and God moves in someone's life, that's something that lasts. When we honor God and choose to follow Him and be obedient to Him, that is something that lasts and we are rewarded for in eternity. They were putting the kingdom of God first. Maybe they were using their monies in, 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 in ways to expand the kingdom of God, not just in building wealth for their own pleasure and for their own self, but they were being generous with their finance to see His kingdom come in the lives of others. 
Maybe they were keeping space and capacity and capacity in their life to make time to serve God. You know, in our world today, there's so many distractions, there's so many things, there's so many priorities that we have. And it's easy for those priorities to distract us from what's most important, and that is God and His kingdom. And being deliberate about waiting for His return, living like eternity's coming, is to say, you know what, I'm going to create space and capacity in my life to do the things of the kingdom. I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize Sunday, Sunday church. I'm going to prioritize being in life group. I'm going to prioritize being in the prayer meeting. I'm going to prioritize getting my kids to youth on a Friday night, getting my kids into our kids' programs on Sunday mornings. We're going to prioritize that. We're going to say no to other things in order to see that as a priority in our lives because we know the difference that makes in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our teenagers' lives by getting in Christian community, by hearing the Word of God, by hanging out with other Christians, by worshipping God together, that builds us, that encourages us, that sustains us to live a life that pleases Him. The fifth thing that we see, Paul says, I can see the difference because they were waiting for the return of Jesus. So as we come to the end of this message, let me ask you this question. Do they see the difference in you? If you're listening to this message and you're a Christian, do the people around you see the difference in you? And let me tell you, they really should. As we allow God to move in our lives, He transforms us. He changes our attitudes. He changes our thinking. He changes our behavior. He changes our priorities. And as we're changed, as we talk differently, act differently, people will notice. And the question is, is do they see the difference in you? And the difference will look like the things that we see in the church in Thessalonica. They will see the move of the Spirit in us. They will see our change in behavior. They will see joy in tough times. They will see us serving God and they will see us waiting for the return of Jesus. They will see that. Do they see the difference in you? You know, maybe you're listening to this message and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Well, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Because as you allow him to move in your life, as you invite him to change you, as you commit your life to him, he will, have a, he will make a radical difference in your life. Your relationship with him will be restored. You'll have forgiveness of sin. You'll have eternal life. And that starts by committing your life to him. And if you want to do that, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you've become a Christian. And that's the first step in living a life that pleases Him. And you've just had the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. We want to help you live a life that honors Jesus. So if you're watching this online, I encourage you to put a comment in the chat box. Click on the prayer tab and we'll pray with you. Or if you're praying or if you've heard this message in the room, there's going to be a prayer team that comes forward at the end of this. I encourage you to come and get prayer. Talk to someone who's invited you today. Go to our Start Here desk. And I will help you take the next step in following Jesus. And for those who have committed their life to Jesus, I want to pray for you today.
that God by his spirit in you will continue to transform you, that, pe- that, that God will continue to change you. He will put joy in your heart. He will change your attitudes. He will put a longing in you for the return of Jesus. So that people would see the difference in us. They would see the difference in us and they would say, hey, what's different about you? And that will give us an opportunity to share what God has done in our lives. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you do in our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's living in us. And Father, we pray even in this moment that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would change our thinking, that you would change our attitudes, that you would change our priority, that you would change our behavior. God, that you would put joy in our hearts, that we would have a joy that goes beyond anything of this world because of what you've done for us, because of who you are. Father, that you would put a longing in us for the return of Jesus. Lord, that we will long for that day when he returns and we will look forward to our eternity with you. God, that you would put a desire in us to serve others. That we would use what you've put in us, the gifts, the passions, the skills you put in us, and we would serve others with those. That we'll be deliberate in encouraging, we'll be deliberate in sharing our faith, we'll be deliberate in getting alongside those who are struggling. That we'll be deliberate in discipling and training. We will be deliberate in using the gifts that you've given us, and serving you and your people. Father, move in us by your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, in power. Bring deep conviction to our lives. We pray for a move of the Spirit, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's been a privilege to share with you today. If you'd like prayer and you're watching online, click on the prayer tab. If you're in the room, there's going to be the prayer team that comes forward. I encourage you to pray, to come forward and receive prayer. Otherwise, be blessed. Thanks for being part of this. God bless you. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected, and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au slash online, and we'd love to find out more about you and how we can serve you as a church. Thanks for checking out this message, and we'll catch you soon.